Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. This is a text I make reference to often. It will probably not be new to anyone here tonight. I have something to bring up tonight for our thought regarding these words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I want us to imagine, if we can, standing before the Lord, arguing your case for entrance into heaven. Now, I know that because of our knowledge of and our appreciation of the grace of God, this is a challenge. Because we believe we do not merit an entrance into heaven but that because of Christ's blood, we can enter through the obedience of our faith. But for the purpose of highlighting that, and for the value of teaching others, I want us to stretch our minds for a few minutes and think about and imagine standing before the Lord arguing our case for an entrance into heaven. What might be said if we were listening in to people arguing their case before the Lord? Now, this is hypothetical. This is for our good thought and perhaps for our use in teaching others. What might be said if one stood before the Lord to argue their case for entrance into heaven? Let's think about that and try to imagine and listen in. Someone might say, Lord, my parents didn't do a good job raising me to be a Christian. And so because of that family negligence in spiritual values, I stand before you asking you to take me in based on that factor. Please, Lord, make an exception in my case if my parents had done their job, I would be here as a faithful Christian, but their failure prevented me from making the choice to become a Christian and be a faithful Christian in obedience to thee daily. I want us to consider that while parents have assigned responsibility to raise their children, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and are accountable for that. If parents fail in that duty, it doesn't mean their offspring are automatically saved or have a valid excuse. Because the gospel message is for everyone, including those who haven't been raised to be Christians. 
This is very clear back in Ezekiel 18. That's an entire chapter devoted to the proposition of individual accountability. Ezekiel 18. Now, it may be harder if your parents didn't do their job to provide a spiritual foundation. Let's grant that. It may be harder, but it's not impossible. I want you to listen to Ezekiel 18.20. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteous of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. This chapter... Ezekiel 18 teaches very clearly, case by case, individual responsibility. I can't use someone else's neglect, even my parents, as my ticket into heaven. I stand before God as an individual without any plea to make or any excuse to offer to enter heaven. I must enter heaven based on the blood of Christ and my response to Christ through the obedience of my faith. We want parents to nurture their children toward good responsibility with God. I had that, and I'm so thankful. Some in this church didn't have that parental nourishing, nourishing, nurturing spiritually, but they made choices that led them to Christ, and they are righteous people now. Parental negligence in spiritual foundation providing does not hand to the neglected children an automatic entrance into heaven. So the Lord's answer, I never knew you if you didn't know Christ. Similarly, one might argue My wife or my husband didn't support me in being faithful. So you ought to let me in, Lord. It is a great encouragement and help when your spouse is right there with you every step of the way spiritually serving the Lord. I've had that advantage 50 years. To worship together and pray together and give together and study together and help each other in the way the Lord expects. To build your marriage and family on the solid foundation of devotion to God and love for Christ. That's a treasure. It is the way it should be. But if you don't have that, you have not found an excuse. There are single people who serve the Lord with great devotion, fully engaged in obedience to Christ, who participate in a sound local church, and who get up every day and resist temptation. There are wives whose husbands offer no support, but those wives do what is right. There are husbands with wives who don't care about the things of the Lord, but they do what is good and right. It is impressive to me that single people, divorced people who are alone in their homes do not offer that as an excuse. 
There is a higher responsibility they have pledged to long ago. I thank God for those people. They know that their situation, though difficult, is not an excuse to walk away from God. They have no thought of ever asking God for some exemption because of their circumstance. And so again, the Lord says, I don't know you, depart from me, you who work iniquity. Your case or argument doesn't grant you an entrance. Well, Lord, my preacher led me astray. He said things that were not in the Bible. And I followed along with what he said, and I was deceived. Let's be really clear about this. Preachers are not the only ones with Bibles. And in fact, there is something God has assigned to every single Bible reader. And I'm going to call it the duty of discernment. And you see that it works several times in Scripture. For instance, in Acts 17, 11, where the people of Berea listened to preachers, but they searched the Scriptures to see if those things were so. That's what God expects of everybody who comes in contact with His Word. Jesus said in the same chapter we're working in, Matthew 7, back in verse 15, Beware of false prophets. You will know them by their fruits. Paul and Peter warned about false teachers and false teaching. Never listen to any preacher and just swallow down what he says without checking your Bible. I don't care who he is, how much you like him, what he sounds like, how good a speaker he is, accept the duty of discernment. And don't prepare any argument to enter heaven based on a preacher who was wrong. Use God's yardstick to measure everything. But Lord, this church that I belong to and that I attended was so small. Just a few people struggling. The New Testament documents a number of local churches, but never with any hint that the number of people was essential or a contributing factor to anybody's spiritual failure or success. I want to say that again. The New Testament documents a number of local churches, but never with any hint that number of people was essential or a contributing factor to anyone's failure or success. In the book of Revelation, seven churches are mentioned. Not in any one of those letters does the Lord condemn a church for being small or commend one for being large? Smallness of faith was condemned. But numbers in a local church is not indicated as a factor of strength or of weakness. Some of the greatest people I know grew up in churches of less than 50 people some less than 30. 
No argument here. No excuse here about entering heaven. Lord, my problem was just the opposite. I was a member of a church that was so large I felt lost in the numbers. Well, I'm going to make the same point. Nothing in the New Testament associates spiritual growth and faithfulness with how many or how few are around you. There are advantages to small churches. There are advantages to larger churches in terms of number. But no argument can be made for entrance into heaven based on how many or few were with you in your local church. I want to make the point here. We can so easily get distracted by and caught up in circumstances and preferences and locations and numbers that really in the Bible have no relation to spiritual maturity. What is really important is my personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Involvement in a good, sound local church the number of people, the architecture, the convenience of the location, the age of the preacher, so many things can distract us from the simple essence of relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Not everything is perfect in local churches. I do not know a single local church that can legitimately claim we have perfection in every way. Because local churches are made up of people. We cannot expect God to grant a free pass into heaven because of a church that was small or one that was large. The question is, is it sound? Is it teaching and practicing that which God's yardstick measures as correct? On the judgment day, all the excuses that people may try to rely on here on earth will not be valid. What if somebody argues, well, I was a victim all my life. People never did treat me right. I was sick and nobody visited me. I was in distress and nobody helped me. My parents didn't do me right. I had a variety of hardships and bad relationships and people didn't understand me and on and on. Lord, I had a really hard life. And because of that hard life, I just couldn't obey you consistently. Because of all my problems, I was a victim, Lord. People didn't treat me right. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And I want you to find verse 32. This is the chapter you will immediately recognize about faith, the activity of faith, and the perseverance of faith, illustrated by people whose lives are documented back in the Old Testament. I'm going to begin at verse 32 in Hebrews 11. See if you hear about anybody here being a victim. And see if that had impact against their activity of faith. And what more shall I say? 
For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had promised something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I tell you, one of the strongest and clearest messages in all of Scripture is this. No matter how hard it is, whatever your disadvantages may be that you can list and spell out, whatever trials you go through, you can trust God, be strong in your relationship with Him, and run with patience the race that He has set before us. On the judgment day... Assuming you tried to argue your case, none of these, none of these would enable you to gain access to heaven. Now this sermon has been built around the hypothetical. Because we will not stand before the Lord with any opportunity to argue our case. Because we have no case. All sin and do fall short of the glory of God. We have no excuse. Paul wrote in Romans 1 that man is without excuse. What we have is the blood of Christ, unmerited by anything we've done, but received and applied through what is written in one phrase in this passage. Doing the will of the Father. 
Sometimes people will ask us the question that they think will stump us and embarrass us. Who will go to heaven? In the end, who will be saved, our friends might ask. And they want us to name a group. You can do that. You can do it right in this passage in Matthew 7. You can let the Lord give the answer. Listen for it now. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's the answer, Matthew 7, 21. That's the answer we need to give. See, the group is those who do the will of the Father. And because of Jesus' death, that's effective in our relationship with God. When we stand before the Lord on that final day, let's not even think of being prepared with any kind of arguments, excuses, exceptions, or pleadings. And let's reject such thoughts today and help our friends reject such thoughts of arguing your way into heaven. Trust in Christ and His blood and do the will of the Father. When you sin, get back where you ought to be through repentance and do the will of the Father and use God's yardstick to measure everything. Now here's what I want to do to close. I'm going to read Matthew 7, 21 down through 27. Matthew 7, 21 down through 27. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Keep going. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The blood of Christ makes it possible for us to get out of sin into relationship with God and do the very thing this passage says to get ready for heaven, which is a prepared place for a prepared people. Do the will of the Father. Let's be standing while we sing.